Any trivia nerds out here? Anyone name, know the name James Holhauser? Holzhauer. I've been obsessed with this, this gentleman over this last few months. He, um, if you know the name Ken Jennings or James Holzhauser, these are two of the most phenomenal contestants in the game show Jeopardy. This last few months, uh, James won a total of 32 consecutive games. He earned over two point, almost $2.5 million in winnings just by Jeopardy alone. In one game, this, he, set a, he set a record on this. Actually, he set the first nine records of the highest winnings ever. He won $131,000 in one game alone. I envied a man. Not for the money, just for the fact that you ask him a question and immediately he's pulling out answers just from all over. Here's my response. You ask me a question, guess where I'm going? Anyone? Google, right? That's my response. That it, almost everything can be solved on Google. I type in two plus two and Google answers it for me. It's just from it, it, something as simple as that to life's big questions, Google probably has an answer. And now Google Home is right there. I don't even have to type it in. I just say, hey, Google, what, what, what do you know about this? And Google will tell me. We use Google so much. It's become a part of our lives. As a matter of fact, the word, the name has become a verb. We Google stuff, right? We don't go to Google. We just Google stuff. That's just how integrated our lives have become. With such a vast amount of knowledge at our fingertips, you would think we're smarter and we're more able. But most people who research this actually argue for the opposite. Because we have the internet storing all of our collective information, more often than not, we don't find the need to ourselves. How many of you remember your phone number? Okay, a lot of... I'm not going to mention ages here, but a little bit on the older side, right? I remember the days where I had to remember a phone number and go, no, I had a little black book back then where I'd write all my phone numbers, and if I didn't have that, I had to pull it out of memory, go dial it on the phone and, and call people. Now all you do is take out your phone and tap on a, a couple of spots, and boom, you're connected. We don't have to remember as much anymore. There's something about not having to, when we come across a problem that we want an instant answer to, we jump on Google, we jump on whatever the platform is, and we have an answer. I'd like to make an argument that somehow, sometimes, as Christians, we treat the Bible the same way. We have a question, we, have an answer, we need an answer immediately, we jump we look to the turn of the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with it. That, that's actually a good thing for us to do. It's, it's what the Bible calls us to do. Seek him is what the Bible says. But there are instances in the Bible, for especially living in the modern time that we live in, that sometimes the Bible is not as clear. I mean, there are certain things that the Bible is very clear about. For example, let's say, let's say Andrew, you drove up today with a beautiful car. I've, I've, I've had this on my mind. I've always dreamed about having one. You drive in, and I walk up to you. I say, let me see those keys. I keep it. Car's mine. <laughs> Bible says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't do that. 
I'm having an argument with my wife, and my wife's like, he's driving me crazy. Maybe I just get rid of him. No, luckily, the Bible's very clear about that. You don't do that. But in other places, the Bible's a little unclear. For example, what does the Bible say about our ethics of our internet use? What does our Bible say about modern-day dating relationships and all the complexities that come with it? What does the Bible say about modern-day workplace ethics? What does the Bible say about how we use and abuse social media? What does the Bible say about the types of cars or houses we ought to buy? What does the Bible say about the activities we're involved in each week? What does the Bible say about issues, macro issues like our food buying ethics or our sourcing of cheap labor and things like that? It seems... Like, the Bible's silent to some of those things. It, it probably was not applicable in those days. I mean, there, no one had to worry about the internet. No one had to wor- worry about online bullying in the days of Paul and Peter. And no one ever spoke about it. So does it mean that the Bible does not have an answer to such situations? Where do you find the answers to such questions? You see, the church in Colossae were dealing with problems that in their time they they really did not have answers to they're coming they're asking these quick big questions what does it mean to be followers of jesus what does it mean to live it out on a practical day-to-day life what are the things that we have to do and not to do to be a christian and this is where paul is writing his letter to the colossians and so these last few weeks we've been in the book of colossians especially more specifically in chapter 3 and today we've come to the last sermon in this series so we've been on chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 and so we're going to answer that question what does the bible have to say about those things that seem silent those things that are Big question marks in our day-to-day lives, especially as modern 21st century Americans. So before we get into that, let's read the passage together. And I'm hoping that at some point during this series, you took some time to memorize that passage. It's a beautiful passage, talks so richly into our lives. And so if you haven't, I would encourage you, um, we'll, we'll read chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Today we're going to take a moment and park in verse 17. This is what he says. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Like I mentioned, these last few weeks we've been in, the book, in this chapter, in verses 1 through, 7, 1 through 16 this last week. And we spent some time exploring what, what Paul is saying. He's talking to the Colossian church, and he's saying for the last few weeks we've talked about this identity that we have in Christ. He says, you are hidden in Christ. You have died in Christ. You're hidden. There's a new person that you have become, and this is for the glory of God. And then as he goes on, he explains to us, he's explaining to the Colossians, and by extension to us, he's saying, as a person with this new identity, there are a couple of responsibilities you have. There's first the responsibility of taking off certain things, right? He's saying you take off anger, you take off malice, you take off, stop lying to each other, stop coveting, stop idolatry. He's saying all of these things, these things that you've done, these things that you do to each other and the attitudes that you have, take them off. Then he goes on saying, once you take some things off, you put some things on. And he's saying, put on love. There are things as Christians in this new identity we ought to put on. And then now he comes right back. There are these, all these lists that he's giving. And it almost seems, as he comes to this last verse, it almost seems like he's running out of ink or running out of time. And he says, and whatever else. Right? You have all these lists. You have all the don't do's and you have all the do's. And he says, and if I've missed anything, whatever else, do this. But it's important to pay attention to the whatever else. You see, Paul in this verse, he's giving us a prescription for living as a Christian life, not a description of a specific situation. So often when we remember the quest, list of questions that I asked about all these different scenarios in our lives that we look for and we go to the Bible and we're asking, God, I need an answer to this specific situation. And here Paul is answering a catch-all. And he's saying, here's the answer. In all that you do, whatever you do, you do this. See, we'll face many decisions in life for which the Bible doesn't provide explicit guidance. But it doesn't mean that the Bible is silent. What Paul is doing is he's laying a principle in front of us. He's saying, by this principle, you can address all of those issues. I may have addressed anger. I may have addressed malice. I may have addressed covetousness. I may have addressed all of these different things. But there will be stuff in your life. There will be issues that come up in your life. And most of us here, there have been issues that come up where the Bible seems to be silent. He says, no. The answer is found in the principle. And by applying this principle, 
you can live the life that God has called you to. And so my, my goal today is to just to explore that principle. Let's, let's look at it. It, it. As he starts off, he says, whatever you do. You see, this encompasses all things, right? The word whatever you do, or in other translations, it says in all that you do. It com- encompasses everything. But so often, we argue with this. Maybe we may not do it, uh, may, we may not do it in, in a public setting, but in our minds, we sometimes argue with it. We make exceptions to it. You see, this includes all the work we may do. In Paul's eyes, there is no distinction between the secular and the holy. He does not compartmentalize what we do in church and outside. By that, this is what I mean. There's no pick and choose when and where and in what ways Christian values and beliefs are expressed. There are certain arenas, so to speak, in which a Christian is for them the thing to do, right? You come to church, we put on our Christian values, we put on our Christian self. But when we're in a different arena, it turns different. But there are also those secular venues in which they check their Christianity at the door and live almost as if they know nothing about Jesus Christ. There are no Sunday words and deeds versus the rest of the day, rest of the week, words and deeds. There's no event, activity, endeavor, or goal that is exempt from the Lordship of Christ. There's no idea, aspiration, dream, or belief that does not come under His sovereign will. And yet, Sometimes, even as Christians, even in this room, we make exceptions. We find loopholes. And so often we find ourselves, um, uh, maybe you, uh, you've come across this, especially as parents, right? You make a rule for, for your child or your children, and how often do they come up with a loophole? I remember when, when, when I was young, my, my, one of the things that we had to do was be, we had to be at home by a certain time, Right? Um, maybe here it was when the streetlights came on for us. The sun didn't go down much later. So we had 8 o'clock was when you had to be home. And here I'm trying to argue with my parents. Is it 8 o'clock? Do I have to be at home or do I start my journey home? <laughs> right? There's a loophole. They didn't complete. They didn't f- figure it out. So I could figure it out for myself. And somehow when we come to, the, when we come to Scripture, we do the same thing. You see, Paul, he's being very specific. There's no wiggle room here. He says, by word and deed, he is spanning the spectrum. This is what we call uh, as the spectrum words. Basically, anything that you can say, anything that you can do is in this. All possible activities, whether physical, mental, spiritual, vocal, whatever, our work, our relationships, all interactions fall under this category. Whether you're doing the laundry, whether you're doing your nine to five, whether you're on the stock, stock exchange, whether you're a doctor, whatever, you're, maybe you're a farmer, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're ser- serving at a restaurant, wherever you may be, all of it comes under this catch-all, whatever you do. See, because living a Christian life is about our relationship with God. And so whatever we do, Paul starts 
chapter 3 with this statement that says, you are hidden in Christ. This is your identity. This is your relationship. This is not just a set of rules that he's established for you, but instead this is, this is the principle. And he's saying, live by this principle. Live by the principle of relationship. He's not saying we have to anticipate every circumstance we might find ourselves in, but just apply the principle. And here's what the principle states. This is how it starts. Paul says, in all that you do, represent Jesus. He's writing. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. What does in the name of Jesus mean? I'm so glad we sang that song this morning. The powerful name of Jesus, that beautiful name of Jesus. But what does that mean? Is it almost like when you end a letter, you just, there's a sign off, you say sincerely, or when, when you, uh, so often, a lot of us, when we pray, we say, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Or maybe when, if you're familiar with radios and such, you know, you end the transmission by saying the word Roger or, or over and out. Is it something like that? Is it just a filler that we, we don't know how to end our prayers, so we'll just tack it on? Or is there a meaning behind it? You see, to invoke someone's name or to do something on their behalf as if we're doing it, it's a powerful thing. When he says that we do everything in the name of Jesus, he's saying that we are his representatives. We're doing it on his behalf. I mentioned before in the time of prayer, we live in a time where the name of Jesus is devalued. But to the Christian, the name of Jesus is life. It is everything. You see, the phrase in the name of Jesus is found frequently in the New Testament. And when it is said, it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we're baptized in water. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we find salvation. It is in his name that we find forgiveness of sins. It is in his name the presence of the Holy Spirit comes over. It is in his name we have dominion over demons. It is in his name we have miraculous healing. And this list could go on and on. It is in his name that we can live. We have the power to live a victorious life. And so Paul is saying, that is who you're representing. This Jesus, the same Jesus who left his glories above, came to this earth for you and me. That is the name of Jesus that you're representing. So he's saying, in whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. What does it look like if we were to actually do that? What does it look like if everything that we said, we asked ourselves this question, what I'm about to say, does it represent Jesus well? What would it look like if everything that we did, before we did it, we asked ourselves, would this represent Jesus well? I remember a couple of years ago, my wife bought me this laptop bag. And I opened it, and inside it was this little card. And maybe you've come across this card, too. It said, inspected by pride by, and it was, there was a name scribbled on it, Erica. And to me, it was, it, there was something about it that spoke to me. And especially preparing this sermon, it came back to me. Inspected, by, inspected with pride by Erica. So in theory, if that laptop bag was to fail, whose fault is it? Erica's fault. She, she missed something. 
Let me ask you this. Can Jesus put his name on the things that you do? You see, Erica was putting her name on the craftsman that built that bag. There were leather workers and there were, uh, tailors and whoever had a had a play or had a role in building that or making that bag, representing all of them, she says, I inspect their work and I prove. And Paul, in a way, is asking, can Jesus put his name on your work? Because if we're Christians, if we're truly hidden in Christ, if we're truly his children, if we're truly his disciples, then that should be the case. See, there's a direct correlation between being hidden in Christ and how we live. If Christ is in us and, in, and we are in Christ, what we say and what we do should reflect that reality. In all that you do, reflect Christ. What if you had to sign your name to everything that you said or did? Suppose that somehow a name tag was attached every time you did something, good or bad so that everyone who saw it knew where it came from. Sometimes we're sloppy and we say things we say and do precisely because we don't think anyone else notices. For every careless word, the name Jesus Christ is attached to it. Because here's the reality. There are people amongst us who for them, we're the only Bible they will read. For them, we're the only Christ they will ever experience. We live in a country that is post-Christian. And so for us, when we step out into this world as Christians, they read and see Christ in us. And so our words should reflect that. Our actions should reflect that. So the question we ought to wrestle with this morning is, can Jesus in In all honesty, write a card that says, inspected with pride by Jesus on your work. And if not, maybe there's something that we ought to deal with. Maybe there's something that we ought to submit ourselves to. Maybe there's something that we ought to ask forgiveness for. Maybe there's something that we ought to ask help for. Because that's why the Holy Spirit is here. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. Because you can never do this on your own. And if we're going to do it, it is under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by our might. It's not by our, our abilities. It's by His Spirit. We'd be more concerned about the details of life if we remembered that we are the face of Christ on earth today. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, but it is through us that the light is spread. It is through us that God works. And so be the light. Be the word of Christ. Be the work of Christ in your communities. So in all things that we do, first we represent Christ, and there's one more thing. There's a second thing. In all that you do, you give God the credit. And that's what Paul is saying. There's just two things that you do. In all that you do, you do it in the name of Jesus, and then you do it in thankfulness. Let's look at the remainder of verse 17. And it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Excuse me. Perhaps you know the, the initials J.S.B. 
If you do, you might also expect them to follow by, be followed by another set of initials, S, D, G. All right, well, if you don't know JSB, JSB refers to Johann Sebastian Bach. He's a composer who often signed his works, and on this particular work, you'll see right on top, the left corner there, JS. He often signed his initials on his work. But also, right at the bottom of his piece, he would sign those letters SDG. The words meaning soli Deo Gloria. To God be the glory. But he also would write the letters JJ. And this is Latin for, and I'm probably going to butcher this, so if any Latin, uh, Latin majors or whoever, please come by see me later. <laughs> Jesu Juva. And which basically means Jesus help. So for him, for, for Bach, every single piece that he wrote, he had three initials on there. JSB, JH, and SDG. Because he realized that if he was going to do anything, first, he was going to need God's help. He's going to need God's help. And second, if he was going to ever accomplish something, it was for God's glory. And that's a great picture of how what Paul is talking about. He's saying, in all that you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it in his name and do it in thankfulness. Do it because he deserves the glory. What is the difference between what is Christian and what is secular? Simply this, who gets the glory? So often that line, that answer is blurred in our communities. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory out of the way you live? Who gets the glory out of the way you live, work, the, the way you talk, the way you interact with your families, the way you represent yourself? Who gets the glory? If I'm living Christian life, God should in all situations. Simply this, in whatever you do, give him the glory. See, it's not about what you do, but about why you do what you do. So often we take, we spend a lot of, we spend a lot of energy, we expend a lot of time and, and resources on trying to figure out what we ought to do. And especially as Christians, we often pray, God, show me the way, show me what I, I have to do. And those are great prayers, but we often neglect the peace before that. It's whatever you do. So while you're waiting on the big call, what are you doing in the moment? What are you doing right now as a student? Working in a lab, working in, a, in an office with others. Maybe you're working out of, out of your home office. Whatever you may be doing, he's saying, give God the glory. Simply this, in everything that we do, when we live that lifestyle, people are drawn to the gospel represented in us. God accomplishes what he's going to do through us. See, Paul calls to examine our motivation behind our work. Is it so that we would be exalted? Is it so that our story would be written? Or is it so that he is exalted, he is glorified, and through him our story is accomplished? He's asking for a motivation check there. So 
As we come into this, our prayer ought to be, Lord, in all the things I'm ever going to do in my lifetime, my goal is that you are seen and celebrated through my life. That when people experience my interaction with them, when people experience my conversations with them, they experience a conversation with God. Because Christ works through us, the Holy Spirit in and through us. And I'm going to call the worship team back. And as we, as we come to this, let that be our prayer. Let that be our prayer that, Lord, whenever I speak, whenever I do, that I'm doing it in your name and I'm doing it to bring you glory. Consider with me for a moment the many decisions for which the Bible doesn't provide explicit guidance. Those gray areas that we sometimes come upon. How are we to proceed? Simply this. In all things, if you have a question about how you ought to do something, how you ought to be, how he's simply saying this. This is the principle. In all things, represent Christ and give God the credit. See, we're per- permitted to do all things. And all things we ought to do in a way that br- brings gl- God glory. But that will definitely d- uh, eliminate certain things out of what we can do. St. Augustine wrote this, Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. We have no desire to do what is wrong because we're so much in relationship with Him. We're so much in love with Him. We're so much in tune with who He is that our desire to do something wrong is replaced when we start living that way, when we start asking ourselves that question, God, how do I speak? How do I do in a way that represents you and represents you well? Instead of bringing you dishonor, instead of bringing you shame, how do I represent you well? And how do I bring you glory? Because in everything that we do, one of two people are going to get glory, ourselves or God. The question is, can we bring ourselves, can we submit ourselves to a place where God gets all the glory out of everything that we do? The principle Paul has been talking about is simply this. In all things, in all things, whatever you do, give God, represent Jesus, and give God glory. So this morning, we're going to close. We're a little early. We're just going to close. We're going to take a moment to pray. There are things in your life, especially as, you, as we come to the close of the series, You may have heard plenty over these last six weeks about what God expects of us. This new identity that He has given us, this new person that He's created us to be, and the things that He's told us to put off, the things that He's told us to put on. Let's come to a place where we surrender ourselves and say, God, as we walk away from this, from this scripture, as we walk away from this series, Make in me the new person you've created me to be. There are things that I say, there are things that I do that don't line up with with your word, don't necessarily give you glory, and maybe even bring you dishonor. So let's bring that. Let's surrender that. If you'd like to come up to the altars, the altars are open. Our elders will come up. We will have elders on either side. Whatever it is that you want us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. But let me, let me tell you, please don't leave this morning without having surrendered to Christ. 
Please don't leave this morning without having made a decision that whatever I do, in word or deed, I'm going to do it representing Christ so that He is able to put His name on my work, saying, inspected with pride, Jesus Christ. If we can't say that, then we ought to surrender ourselves to that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Colossians and Paul who writes to the church. We thank you that you have created in us a new identity. You have created in us a new person, a person that's bought by your blood. And for that, we're thankful. And Lord, help us to live the life that you have called us to live. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We try and we fail. We try even harder and we fail even harder. That is our reality. That's the world we live in. And so we desperately need your help. We desperately need your Holy Spirit to invade our lives, to help us, to restore us, to reform us. Would you do your work in us this morning? Would you continue your work in us through the week? We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.